Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, as you know, last week we started a new series, Not For Granted, and, and we're, we're looking at our lives, looking through the Word of God, and, and discovering maybe the things that we've kind of taken things uh, for granted. And, you know, every time I work on a message like this, it's always like, you know, the Lord obviously works it through my heart, and, and I've been kind of catching myself, you know, watching what I'm saying or, or the things that I, I tend to um, maybe complain about. And I don't know about you, but the worship service this morning was good. Yeah. It's just, when you reflect on who Christ is, like the last song, Amen. boy, we have a good Savior. And I think sometimes I forget, you know, being a Christian for so long and coming to the Lord in 1982, you just, you, sometimes I think we sing the songs or we read the Word of God and we we tend to forget really what Jesus did for us and what a ransom he paid for us that, that I didn't deserve it and I didn't earn it, I didn't merit it. But Jesus in his rich love and his grace for us came to rescue us from ourselves and from our sins. And we have such a good Savior today. And, and my prayer for you today, because we're looking today specifically how, how not to take Jesus um, for granted and not taking the things that God has done for us uh, for granted. And we have so much to be thankful for today. And we're going to look at a scripture that's, that's a tough scripture. Because what Jesus does here, Jesus is speaking to an audience that has seen his miracles. That has seen him perform these great and wonderful things. Yet their hearts were so hardened to the things of Jesus and, and, and what he has done. And, and he uses some illustrations about why their hearts were that way. And, and as we read this, my prayer for you is that if, if our hearts are hardened, that, that, that God would break our hearts, um, that, that we would see the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and my prayer for you is that um, your heart would bend towards Jesus and that, and that what Christ has done for us would humble us and, and make us realize that I need you, Jesus, that, that I can't do it in my own strength or my own will or through my religiosity. These, these are the things that, that you don't call us to. You call us to your side and you call us through humility to recognize what we've done, to realize that there's a Savior that loves us, that wants to heal us. So I want to dive into God's word. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 24. Actually, we're going to be looking at the majority part of this passage. But I want to look at what Jesus says here to a group of people that he's speaking to. And he gives some pretty, pretty harsh words here. And so I want to start with verse 16. And uh, Jesus, once again, is kind of just saying, listen, this is what this generation is like and why your hearts are hard. So let's look at verse 16. Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. I'm going to explain that later in my message. That will make sense in, 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 in just a few moments. Verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said he has a demon talking about John the Baptist. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. 
Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his, catch that, in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not what? Repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles were performed, you had been performed in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Ouch! And I just want you to realize, I, I want you to, to, just, to just to understand the, the gravity of these words. Jesus is looking at the heart of people and that they're taking things for granted. They're seeing the very work of God before them. And they're taking things for granted. Now, now we, we all take things for granted, don't we? We, we all do that. And, and I, I've been on um, probably 20 plus um, missions trips. And when you go overseas, um, you, you realize the things that, uh, that we have here in America or that you take for granted here in America um, that you tend not to see in, in other countries that they know about, but we take for granted. And, and I was thinking, thinking about this, and I believe the number one thing that Americans take for granted. I believe I have the number one answer for the thing that Americans take for granted. Do you know? Do you have any idea what that might be? What's that? Okay, water. Okay, those are all good things, but that's not the number one answer. You know what the number one answer is? Toilet paper. That's it. I, I'm t- if you've been on any missions trips, okay, especially in Central America. There is not toilet paper to be found anywhere, okay? So if you go out in the public and you need toilet paper, forget about it. And also, if you need to use the bathroom, you've got to pay for it. So if you need to go and you need toilet paper, you're, 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 you're going you're gonna to pay for it. And, and forget about flushing it down. I don't mean to be, you know, you've got to put it in a waste paper basket because of septic systems. And that's the funny thing. So when we go on mission trips now, you've got the backpack and you see the little toilet paper hanging out of the backpack because you don't go anywhere. You don't leave home without it, Okay. <laughs> You just don't leave home without it. And, and we do. It's, it's easy to, to just to take things for, 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 for granted. And, and um, it, it's, it's easy to take people for granted and relationships for granted, our spouse for granted. We're going we're gonna to talk about that next week, how not to take our marriages uh, for granted. It can happen with our relationship with God. We take his, his, his blessings for, for granted and we can take Jesus for granted. It can easily happen to us. We, we just, it's easy to lose the awe of God. It's just easy to lose the awe of God. We, we can hear the message of Christ over and over again to the point where um, it just doesn't move us anymore. It, it, it doesn't have the same reaction. And, and I know that the Lord wants us to guard our hearts uh, against that. And then what happens is our hearts can become complacent. And it, and it happens in relationships. It just happens with life if we're not careful. What's interesting about these verses if you read the verses before it, um, it, it's interesting because Jesus says this on the heels of John the Baptist asking Jesus if he is the one or if they should expect another. And so what John the Baptist, let me give you background here. John the Baptist is in prison 
his disciples come up to Jesus and say, you know, John's asking this, are, are you the one or should we expect another? And this is astonishing because John the Baptist was the one who said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to, to, to carry it on tie. And, and John begins to doubt. And John's in prison. He's put there by, by Herod Antipas. And, and John is placed in prison unfairly. And he's wondering if Jesus is really the one. And John might be thinking, wait a minute, my situation isn't matching what I thought the Messiah would do for me. Shouldn't um, I be blessed and Herod be cursed? Um, this doesn't make sense to me. And what happened to John, and maybe with his disciples also, is they began to maybe take for granted what they thought Jesus was supposed to do. And so what Jesus does here, if you read those preceding verses, what Jesus tells his disciples, he goes, listen, tell John this, that the blind are being healed, the lame are walking, the lepers are being healed, the good news is being preached, which authenticated everything and who Jesus was and what he did in his life. You see, when we take something for granted, it's not necessarily that we lack something, it usually means the presence of something else. Let me say that again. This is important. When we take something for granted, it's not necessarily that we lack something. It usually means the presence of something else. And usually the presence of something else is this. Catch this. Ingratitude is the presence of something else. It's that presence of thanklessness it's the presence of being unappreciated and so what begins to happen is is john the baptist knew this but because he was going through a a difficult circumstance and his disciples they were confused and maybe they were just taking for granted what what they really knew jesus was all about and that happens to every single one of us in our life at one time or another where you just feel unappreciated you know you did all this work and no one thanked you You made a meal, you cleaned up after the meal, everyone leaves without thanking you. That never happens in our house, by the way, just so you you know that, right? Um, You know, you just feel unappreciated or you worked really hard on something only to have someone um, criticize it. And, um, And you care about this. And then when you don't get the thanks or appreciation, you feel, man, does anybody really care i I don't know if husbands if this ever happened to you your wife comes up to you and she asks you do you notice anything different that is a loaded question by the way (laughs) right or if something changes in the house and and you like totally don't notice it and you're like honey do you notice what i changed about the house i'm like oh no this is not going to end well right or do you notice anything different about me and this is not going to end well. And you're like, oh, honey, that's a new outfit. I really liked it. No, I changed the color of my hair. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even notice that, honey. Your hair looks beautiful. Too late. You can sleep in the car tonight, right? Um, so you, we, we all go through that. And, and I think, I, I can't imagine, Jesus' words here, I, I can't imagine how he felt. He, here, here Jesus comes, and he performs these miracles, And still many didn't believe. Many still had doubt. And so what Jesus does is he he denounces the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida because they took his miracles for granted. They refused to believe. They still had doubt. Now, let 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 me just say this. 
it's very difficult to change a hardened heart. Here's the reason why. Um, Take the example of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And what was wrong with them? Their hearts were hardened many times. And they refused to follow the Lord. And they continued to complain. Even when they saw these, the parting of the Red Sea. You you would think, man, just the part of the Red Sea would make me want to follow God with my whole heart, right? Seeing water come out of a rock. Okay, I'm going to follow you, Lord. Seeing manna, whatever that was. Literally, manna means what is it? Bread from heaven, whatever that was. Feeding them in the wilderness, in the desert. But yet their hearts were hardened towards the things of God. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you saw all these miracles, but your hearts were still hardened. And if you're here today and you're saying, I'll believe God when I see it. And I think sometimes we make bargains with the Lord and we say, God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for this sign. And if this sign happens, then I'll believe that you're real. And what Jesus is saying, I performed all these signs before you and you still didn't believe. See, it's very difficult to deal with a hardened heart because it doesn't matter what God shows you or does for you. If a heart is hardened, it refuses to be changed. And that's why God says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. How, can I just say this? How can you not go out at night and look at the stars and look at the universe and not be humbled by it? How can you not? How can you not just sit there and look at the billions and billions of stars and just sit there and realize how small we really are? But yet we think we're the center of the universe, right? When we're just a speck, just one tiny speck of sand on miles and miles and miles and miles of sandy beaches. And so it should humble us. And Jesus says, listen, I come here and I perform these miracles, yet you refuse to believe and to follow me. And so Jesus says this. He says, if Sodom, the the epitome of Sin City, um, would have seen all the miracles, they would have repented. And so Jesus would perform the miracles, the feeding of the, the thousands of people, yet still many walked away and didn't follow him. See, when things don't go my way and, and when I want them to go my way and they don't go my way, how quickly we forget about the goodness of God. And so what happens is this ingratitude takes over our hearts and we lose our perspective of who God is and what he has done for us. And it blinds us to God's goodness and our hearts become so fickle. I want you to see verse 16 there. Verse 16 is pretty interesting because what Jesus does is he compares this generation as he's speaking to them, those that have hardened hearts, to the children sitting in the marketplace calling out to their playmates. Now, let me give you a little background here. Why does Jesus use this illustration and he compares this generation to children playing in the marketplace? Well, let me, let me explain this to you because um, this will make more sense. When Jesus uses this illustration, people listening to Jesus at that time would completely understand this illustration that Jesus says to them. And and what the scene would be is children would be with their parents in the marketplace as they were buying and selling. So it was the day that people would go to the market. The parents would would bring their children. So the children have to be there all day. And so the children would play these games as they were in the marketplace. And basically there was two games 
that most children would play. And these, basically, these two games were this. Basically, they were mimicking the two biggest events that would happen in their town. And so as they would come from these smaller towns, they would come to these cities, come to Jerusalem to buy or sell into the center of the, of the city square. There's basically two games they would play because these are the two biggest events that would happen in any town. The two biggest events would be a wedding and a funeral. That's fun, isn't it? These only two games you got to play. So, you know, there's no PS2. There's no Xbox. Uh, there's no Pokemon Go. You know, there's no kids, you know, walking around <laughs> like this, looking for Pokemon, right? There, there's none of that. There's no Wii. Uh, basically, you got, we can play wedding or we can play funeral. That's their two things. And so he explains this. A, a wedding would be a week celebration, in that culture, in the first century. And it was uh, dancing and singing. A funeral would, would be, you know, they would have women who would mourn and cry and sing. And so you had these two things that they could do. They could have a wedding or they could play a funeral. Um, and so what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, this generation is very childish. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this, this generation is very childish. It's, it's like a, a child... Children getting in a squabble over little things. And basically what Jesus is saying is saying they're getting in a squabble over you didn't play it, you, 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 you didn't play the game my way. He goes, so it's like children in the marketplace who are squabbling over their games. And what the children would do is they would get together, they would play this game, and you'd have one child that would be the leader, and the leader would say, Hey, let's play this game. And say, let's pretend to have a wedding. And we'll have one person play the flute and we'll have dancing and we'll play music. And you would have a group of children that said, well, we don't want to play that game. Let's, let's play a dirge, uh, whatever a dirge is. It sounds like a heavy metal band from the 1980s. Dirge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on our stage. Dirge. So they said, let's play a dirge. Okay. Uh, let's have a funeral procession. And then the mean group says, well, we don't like that game either. That's dumb. And so you've got this group that says, hey, we want to play this game. Then you've got the mean group that says, no, we don't want to play that group because you're leading this group and we don't like that. We want to play this. No one's, no one's happy. It's childish. They're arguing over, over silly little things. Now, I don't know you parents that have had children. I don't know if this ever happened to you. You know, especially when kids are younger and they, you, they get so pumped up about their birthday parties. And so I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to us as our kids were growing up. You have this birthday party. They, they can't wait, and that's all they talk about, right? That's all they talk about their birthday party. Um, um, and, and so they're so excited. Finally, the day comes, and they're absolutely terrible at their birthday party. They don't want the party now. They don't like the cake. They don't like their friends. They don't like their presents. And there's nothing you can do to make them happy. Now, I don't know if this ever happened to you. Um, you know, and you try, to, you, try to, you try to pacify them. You try to make them happy. You say, do you want your sippy cup? No! And they hit it out of your hand, right? Or, 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 you, or you, did you ever go to the store and, and they want something? I mean, this happens every time. I, I was just in Wegmans the other day, and there's a little baby in the carriage. And they're, you know, mistake number one, parents, don't go in the candy line. That's just, they have non-candy. I know you want to go in the candy line. 
But don't do it because you're kidding. You know, and they're, I want this. And I told you that if you were good, you would get this. And you were terrible. You know, they're arguing in the store with a, with a four-year-old. And this is not going to, it's not going well, right? And I'm just, in the back of my mind, I'm just laughing. And there's other parents that are walking by and they're just judging, right? You know, have you ever felt that way as a parent? You, you want to look at somebody else that gives you a dirty look and just say, don't judge me. You're no perfect parent yourself, right? Right. So this, this happens. And so, you know, I, you know you, you've got nothing can make them, no matter what you do, nothing can make them. Do you want a sippy cup? No. Do you want your pacifier? No. You know, they're just mad. I remember uh, Wesley, um, he's 17 now, um, senior, and he, um, he loved his pacifier. He loved his passy. I think he was about 14 when he finally gave it up. <laughs> Um, he loved his pacifier and he, you know, Wesley's a big, if you don't know Wesley, Wesley's a big kid, he's about 6'1", 220. He's, he's a, he's, he's a little, he's a piece of work. He's a, he's a big boy. And, uh, and he was big when he was younger. So when he was born, he had a gut. When he was born out of the womb, boom, gut right there. He was just, he was just Wesley. I mean, his body was his body. He was just that way, but he loved it. So you get this big five-year-old kid walk around with a pacifier in his mouth, seven years old, you know, 12 years old. No, I'm just, he, so we said, we, we got to, we, Wesley, we got to get rid of this pacifier. So we had this um, pacifier party of going away pacifier party. We're going to say, we're going to have a party and we're going to say goodbye to all your pacifiers. So what we did is Kathleen made a cake, washed all his pacifiers, sanitized them, and then put them all on the cake. And we're going to say goodbye to it. So we found, and so we had this big party and he did it. He, he, he finally, he gave it up. Well, some of you don't know, we, he has a younger sister, a couple of years younger than him, Lily. And Lily was still on her pacifier. And what we found one time in his room, like weeks later, we look in his room and in the corner of his room hidden, he had all these all these contraband pacifiers <laughs> that we didn't know where it was going from his sister. And so at night, he was just popping that thing in there. He was a pacifier junkie, right? We, so we had to try to get Lily off the pacifiers, right? Um, so, you know, what's going on here? What, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is Jesus talking about here? What's really going on here with these children? And this childish stuff. At the end of the day, what these children are saying is, I'm not getting my way. I don't care what you do, but I'm going to choose to be indifferent and unhappy no matter what game you play. I'm not happy. If you, if you play wedding, we're not going to be happy. If you, play, um, if you play a dirge or a funeral, we're not going to be happy. We don't care. And the reason why we're not going to be happy is not necessarily we don't like the game. It's because we're not in charge. That's what Jesus is saying. The reason you don't have gratitude or you're ungrateful in your life is because you're not in charge. Nothing will make you happy. And so the reasons the kids don't like to play the game is the fact that they want to be the leader. They want to be the ones playing the flute. They want to be the one that leads the dirge. And here's the point Jesus is making. Jesus said this. John came not eating or drinking, and you said he had a demon. He said, the son of man comes eating and drinking and you call him a glut and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those who were judging John and Jesus didn't like what they were saying. John said, come and repent. Jesus says, it's by grace, not religion. One seemed hard and rigid and one more graceful. But they didn't like either one. They didn't like the guy that came and said, hey, you got to repent for the kingdom of God is near. 
And then Jesus who comes and offers grace, all who comes to me. He offers this grace. And they don't like him either. He's offering miracles and doing these wonderful things before them. But yet they don't like that either. You see, when ingratitude takes over, my heart will never be happy. It will never be satisfied. I will have a very bleak picture of my life. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't want us to be childish, but he wants us to be childlike. He doesn't want us to be childish in the way we approach God. God, I'm only going to serve you if I, got, if I get my way. And if I don't get my way, I don't, you know, and then sometimes we just don't get our way. It's just never good enough. It doesn't matter what happens. We're just not happy. And when ingratitude takes over our hearts, we're never happy. So I want you to see the, the last half of this chapter. And the last half of this chapter is so important. It's so vital for us understanding what God desires in our life. And so um, I want you to look at, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look at the last half of chapter 11. I want to look at verses 25 through 30 because I believe this is how we cultivate a heart for Christ and to keep ingratitude at bay. And so I want to spend a little time diving into this. And, and how do we get away from that? I'm just not happy. It doesn't matter what happens. If, if this happens in my life, I'm not satisfied. If this happens, and it's this control issue. And let's see what Jesus says at the end here. Verses 25 through 30, Jesus says this. He gives rest for the weary. And at that time, Jesus says, he just gets done giving this judgment towards, you know, these cities and these unrepentant cities. But then he says this. He says, at this time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord, heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to who? Little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Father chooses to reveal to him. And I, I believe these are some of the most comforting words in, in all of the New Testament. Jesus says in verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this. For those of you who have been burdened by religion, for those of you who have been burdened by the do's and the don'ts and trying to get things right in your life, he says, come to me, for my yoke is easy. My burdens are like, come to me. I, I, I want to give you peace and grace for your life. See, he, here's, here's, this is why I love this verse, because Jesus says this. We come to Christ with a childlike faith. And he, listen, he, here's what a childlike faith is. A childlike faith says this. I don't come with anything. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Lord, I'm just going to listen to you because I'm going to trust you. I'm, I'm going to believe that, that what you tell me to do is best. And for a parent with a child, when a child listens to, you, listens to you, the reason why you're giving them instructions is because you care for them and you want the best for them and they trust you and they love you. 
And so here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you're going to come to me, come to me with a childlike faith. See, here, here's wisdom. Wisdom is that application of knowledge. We can have a lot of knowledge, but have absolutely no wisdom. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, you've seen all these miracles, the so-called wise and the learned and those that thought they had religion all together. I performed all these great miracles before them and they still chose not to believe. Here I, I've created this whole universe for you and put the stars in place and the planets in place, yet you still refuse to believe. And Paul outlines for that for us in Romans chapter 1. That they chose rather to worship the creation than the creator and humble themselves before the creator and say, God, I don't know everything I thought I knew. See, childish faith says, I'm just not happy because I'm not in control. Childlike faith says, God, you're in control and I'm going to bow before you and I'm going to humble myself before you. Jesus says, for those that come with this childlike faith, you will find rest for your souls. Wisdom says, come, humble yourself before Christ. Those are the ones who God receives. And when I realize what Christ has done for me, it changes the whole, my whole outlook on life. My focus is now not outward, but inward and what Christ can do in my heart. And what Jesus says, he says, listen, I'm asking you to do this, to take my yoke upon you. Now, at first glance, this doesn't make sense because a yoke was this wooden frame that would join two animals together for work. And it seems so cumbersome and so heavy because you're bound to that other animal. And I want you to realize here, whether you realize it or not, we are all bound to something. We're all yoked to something. Whether it's my job, my identity, wanting people to like us, my success, we're all bound to something. See, an ungrateful heart is a yoke around us that keeps us from knowing Jesus. So when I pursue Christ, I take literally his yoke upon me. I say, Lord, wherever you want to lead me, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm going to trust you because I, I know you know what's best for me. And I'm, I'm not asking to be in control. I'm asking you to take control of my life. I like this quote by Bob Goff. He says, I, I used to think I could shape the circumstances around me, but now... But now, I know Jesus uses circumstances to shape me. And here's the thing I would tell you this morning. Stop trying to control everything. We get so worked up about life and what happens, and we're trying to control this and trying to control that. We're trying to manipulate God in the way we think our outcome should be. Jesus says, listen, when you take your yoke upon me, I've got it under control. Allow the circumstances that you go through, allow it to shape your life. Allow me to shape those circumstances so I can shape your heart. And I realize that every circumstance God can use, he can use it so that I can trust him more. I'm bound to him. I'm walking with him. I'm not letting go. He says, take this yoke upon you. 
Here's the thing. Do, do I spend too much time trying to change my circumstances or complain about my circumstances? Or do I allow, do I allow God actually to use my circumstances? Here's the thing. I believe the reason why we, we lose our awe of God or maybe we take Jesus for granted is because we're trying to control our life. And we're trying to control the circumstances. And when things happen and they come out of the blue, we're like, why does this happen? Why is it? And God says, listen, allow me to use it. Listen, I'm in the yoke with you. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? I know you're here with me. I know you're going to walk with me through this thing. Allow me to trust you. Take my yoke upon you. Allow me to walk with you through this. See, I think what happens is if we're not careful with our relationship with Christ, we go through a circumstance and then we, then we leave the yoke and we just want to go on our own. And here's what the Lord says. He says, listen, I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Nothing's going to separate you from my love, which is in Christ Jesus. The promises of God are so powerful in those times that we, we don't see God or, or, or we feel like God is not moving or we feel like the circumstance is too great for me. Christ is right there with us if, if we allow him to take control of our life. And I think the thing that we do is when ingratitude overtakes our heart, we take the sacred things of God and we make them common. What do I mean by that? God was very particular in the Old Testament on how they were to approach him. God was very particular on how the temple was going to be set up. God was very particular on you couldn't touch this, you couldn't do that. And you think, well, why is God so rigid there? Here's the reason why. God never wanted his people to take something that was sacred and make it common. He didn't want them just to casually just say, oh, it's just God, no big deal. We can do this. We can go in the temple. He said, no, the only way that you can come into my presence or into the Holy of Holies is you have to be a high priest. You have to offer up the sacrifice. You have to only come in by sprinkling the blood because you have to offer up a sacrifice for me. And you may read through the Old Testament like, man, that, why is this so rigid? And God wanted to make it clear to the Israelites that I am holy and you are not. Don't take the things that are sacred and make them common. And I think what ingratitude, what, what it can do in our hearts is that it can make the things of God seem very common. And I lose that awe of, what, of who Christ is and what he's done for me. And then my heart becomes very childish and I don't get my own way and I'm never happy. God says, listen, guard your heart against making things common. You know, when I was a little kid, um, my, my friend was an altar boy at a Catholic church in, in Arundaquay. And um, I, he, he, he'd have to go every like Tuesday morning. So if I'd sleep over his house, I'd have to go with him. Now, I wasn't raised Catholic. I was the Presbyterian church. So going to the Catholic church was, was different, you know. So I'd walk in and they would do the holy water and genuflate and all this stuff. But I remember walking in there just going, because the, the church was gorgeous. And, and I remember walking in and just going, wow, it's different. It was different from my church. It was more like, I don't know, just you, you saw, you know, 
gestations of the cross. And, you know, I would just sit there the whole service, just be like, and my friend would be like, oh, finally, we got that over. Let's go play baseball. Like, it's like, man, I hate doing this. So boring. I have to do because my parents. And I go, I remember telling him one time, I'm going, y- your church is kind of cool. And he's like, what? Because I can't wait to get through this. I just got to do this, you know. And, and, um, and I go, it's just different. You know, th- there was, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we make, that we worship idols or we worship images. But there was something about in that place that, that was a reverence. There was a reverence. Now, I'm not saying everybody's heart was in the right place or whatever, but, but there, was, there was this reverence when you'd walk in there. Like, I, I felt it, and I wasn't part of that church. And, and, I, and I would sit there, you know, just, you know, kind of like, you know, you could, it just, the whole church echoed when they would sing, or just, you know, hallelujah, right? It was just, it was different. And I, I didn't know Jesus back then. I, I wasn't really a follower of, of Christ until I became a teenager, but, but I knew there was something different about God. I think sometimes we can get in our relationship with Christ and we just, we just get indifferent to Jesus. And what Jesus is calling us to, I believe, is coming back to that relationship that says, don't lose your awe of me and what I've done for you. Don't lose your awe. I'm a holy God. And the reason why we don't have to offer up sacrifices and all those other things we see in the Old Testament is because Jesus came to complete all those things for us. He came to complete all those things for us. We have a perfect Savior today. We have so much to be thankful for. And what I wanted to do, I wanted to close in song with that new song that we, we learned today. What a beautiful song representing that, that our God is a lion and a lamb at the exact same time. He's, he's, he's ruler, he's, he's king, but yet he's this gentle lamb who has laid his life down for us. What a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what I want us to do today, I just, let's not lose our awe of God. Let's not take the sacred things, let's not make them common. Let let God change your heart today and just say, I'm going to worship you today. Forgive me of my ingratitude, Jesus. Forgive me when I take things for granted in my life that you've done for me and and don't allow me to 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 complain about what you've done soften my heart don't allow my faith to be childish but let it be childlike as i humble myself before you and so let christ come into your life come into your heart and i believe worship breaks the heart of ingratitude when we humble ourselves before the Lord. So Jesus, we just come before you today. And God, I realize myself included that we all can lose our awe of you at times that that ingratitude sets in and and we lose the fact that Jesus, you've come to bear this this our burdens of our lives. You 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 say place my yoke upon you. It's fitting, it's good. And God, I pray that we would just allow you to come into our hearts and life, that Jesus, you would do the work in in our hearts and our lives that that you need to accomplish, that we wouldn't lose 
our passion and our awe for you, that as we, we worship you today, that we would see that you're both that, that lion, that ruler, but yet you're that gentle lamb that has come to rescue us and to, to give your life for us as a ransom. So Jesus, we just come to you today. I pray for every heart here today that you would speak to them, that we would worship you, that we would not take you for granted, Jesus. God, catch what we say. Catch, catch our unthankfulness. Catch the times we complain too much. Catch our hearts in those things and let us, let us just be grateful and thankful for every day, every breath that we breathe. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace today that saves us. So we just come to you now. And we just give Jesus all the glory and praise for what he does in our hearts and our lives. And we just love you. So may we worship you now and thank you for everything you've done for us. You're a perfect savior. You're a loving God. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. But taking our pain and our sin upon your shoulders on that cross. We're so thankful for that. And so as we worship you again, may these words just resound in our hearts for who you are, Jesus. And we just ask these things in your precious name, in your precious name. And all God's children said, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this to the Lord. Make it your prayer this morning. God bless you.